Good morning. My name is Brian Sorgenfry, uh, one of the pastors on staff, and really glad that you're here. If you're new, let us know if we can do anything for you. Um, we are walking through the Gospel of Matthew and seeing how each week Matthew is letting us see this long-awaited uh, hero, this Savior, this Messiah, Jesus has arrived. And what I want you to think about before we uh, read the text is how it is ingrained in us that you might not even notice it, but it's ingrained that we always prepare to meet somebody. Like when I was younger and uh, if I knew I was going to the dentist a few days before, I'd actually floss for the first time. So that when the dentist said, have you been flossing? I could say, absolutely, I've been flossing. Or uh, I discovered the hard way as a young married man, um, used to kind of college life, uh, that it was not okay uh, to ask somebody to come over uh, without telling my wife. Because uh, we showed up at the door and, uh, you know, we did not make preparations. The house was not clean. And that was a big no-no as we walked around and said, our house isn't usually like this for some reason, right? And it, it, it was. And so you just know the, the, the greater the person, the more esteem the person has, the more preparation you typically make to encounter that person. Well, think about this. If there is a God who made you, who upholds you, he actually keeps your heart beating, who is holy and perfect, and that person is showing up in the flesh in Jesus to meet you, what kind of preparation would be needed? That is the role of John the Baptist. That's what we're about to uh, read and listen to, is John the Baptist is preparing people to meet Jesus, and I guess you could say he's preparing us to meet Jesus as well, who's with us by his word. So, Here's, John three, I mean, here's Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and, and he will clear his threshing floor to gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. All right, just two things this morning. If, we're being, if you're being prepared to meet the hero, we're going to see how first John the Baptist, John prepares with a call to repentance, and then we're going to see how Jesus saves with his baptism. So John prepares, Jesus saves. First, John prepares. Okay, chapter 3 opens with this figure named John the Baptist, and to make sense why he's creating this stir, 
There's a little bit of Old Testament history you've got to notice, okay, if you don't. But the Old Testament, there's this hope that's building that someone from Abraham, particularly from David's kingship, that line, will be the hero, the Messiah, that's going to save his people and heal the whole world. Thus, our whole series, right, this hero has arrived. What might be lesser known is that actually, especially in the prophets, they start telling you that this Messiah, this hero, is going to be preceded by someone that's going to prepare the way. It gets quoted in Isaiah, but even Malachi gets more specific and says the person that's going to precede the Messiah and prepare the way is going to be Elijah himself or an Elijah-like figure. What was Elijah like? He was a prophet. You can read about in First and Second Kings. Here's all you need to know. He just kind of seems to appear from out of nowhere. He wears animal skin. He lives out in the wilderness. He wears a belt around his waist. And he keeps telling Israel, you need to repent. You've turned from God. That's what Elijah was like, who was supposed to precede the coming Messiah. So now what you have is someone out in the wilderness wearing camel hair with a belt around his waist, living off locusts and honey, and is saying, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when that kind of hope has been ingrained in you, looking for the Messiah, looking for an Elijah-like figure, and John the Baptist is an Elijah-like figure, you start going out to him. You start checking, does this mean the Messiah is coming? And this is something, as far as I can tell, that is kind of unique about Jesus uh, and other world religions and those leaders is someone prepares the way. If you look at like Muhammad in Islam or he's in Joseph Smith and Mormonism, they just show up and have to explain themselves to the world. They have to explain who they are. But Jesus is unique. There was someone who was going to prepare the way and explain who Jesus is. And John the Baptist does that. He prepares the way. And the way that he prepares is through this one little sentence that summarizes John the Baptist's whole message, which says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. The king of the universe is here, so repent. That's the message of preparation. What does it mean to repent? To repent simply means to turn, to turn around, which is very interesting because that means that the way that Jesus and the scripture views us is that we actually naturally face in the wrong direction. We face away from God and we need to turn all of us. And see, that, that is kind of hard for us because the scriptures and Jesus, they actually are concerned with what direction are you facing? And we always want to be concerned with like the extent or of my sin or how long or what my sin looks like, but not scripture. Scripture just wants to know which, which direction are you facing? Because you're, you're either facing away from God, for some reason over here is away from God, on the, away from God, in self-sufficiency, in morality, and I've got this, I don't need anything, I'm independent from God, or you're facing towards Jesus in humility, in need, in brokenness. Those are the, and the scripture is just, which way are you facing? And so when John the Baptist says, repent, he's saying, all of us need to turn. And you can respond to the, to the call of John the Baptist to repent, you can respond in one of two ways, and you're going to see them both here. And then you're going to be able to ask yourself, have I prepared the way? Have I repented? Because the first way you can respond to the call of repentance is what is absolutely natural. And I really do mean it's natural because it is the condition that we're born with. The condition we're born with is to face away from God and to think that I've got it. I'm okay. I, I, can, make I can make it through life with my own resources. 
And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees do, right? This, this is verse 7 through 10. It's kind of disturbing. But the Sadducees and the, and the uh, Pharisees, they were the esteemed religious leaders of the day. Everybody looked up to them. They were moral. And when they show up at this baptism, John says, you brood of vipers, flee the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I don't think we appreciate how disturbing this is. Like, imagine right now a couple of well-respected, nice-looking families walked into church, and I said, who invited you? How dare you show up here without repentance? Y'all would all, most of you would hide your face. I would be embarrassed, but it's exactly what John the Baptist did, which, which means he, is, he actually is loving them because what he is doing is he's trying to expose their hypocrisy. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees are confident. Here's what's interesting. They're confident they're facing in the right direction because of their family, right? They're connected to Abraham. Because they're respected in society. Because they're, they're better than a lot of people that they can think of. So they're confident they're facing in the right direction, but they actually are lost. They're walking away from Jesus. And so he says, repent. I read about, uh, years ago, this article, I read about this group of tourists who uh, visited Iceland. Obviously, first they'd gotten on a plane, but then they were doing a, a uh, bus tour of Iceland. And as they'd gone to this little village and spent time, they all got back on the bus, and they realized that someone from their group was missing. And so they, they kind of announced the advertisement of who to look for, and it was this woman, and they announced how, how she was dressed. And so they all scattered back into the town to look. And after an hour of looking, this woman started thinking through the description and realized the description was herself. She had gone to the village and changed clothes, and nobody knew it. And so she had spent an hour with everybody looking for a lost person that was herself. <laughs> which meant she, she didn't even know she was the lost person. That's what John the Baptist is saying. He is saying it is actually a dangerous thing to live a life without repentance. That you can actually be facing away from God and you do not even know it. And the way to be blind that you are lost, at least seems from what John's saying, the easiest way to think that I'm facing God but I'm facing away from Him is to be like the Sadducees and Pharisees, which is to be a person that has it all together. To be a person that's well-respected in society. To be a person that's religious and actually creates a bar that you kind of get over in that standard of what it's looked like, but other people can't get over it. That's the way to think that I'm okay and I don't need to repent, but John is saying you're actually lost. Like, probably everybody here this morning needs to hear this disturbing message because John is saying it is really hard for those of us for preachers who want to do things right, who seem to have it all together, and who rise above a bar that they set for everybody else, it is hard to admit that, that you are living a life of independence from God. It's hard. So Ricky Jones, my friend, um, you've heard me quote and always helps with these. He's actually coming to do our missions conference in the spring and do a men's conference. I've heard him talk about the story when he was doing RUF. <clears throat> we'll call them Sally and we'll call them Harrison. They, as want to do, started liking each other. And they were talking to Ricky about it. But the deal was Harrison grew up in a really broken home. His parents were divorced. They hated each other. 
And in high school and early college, he'd actually lived a pretty wild, promiscuous life, sexually promiscuous, all these things. And then he was converted like his sophomore year of college. Had really grown, was actually leadership in RUF on Ricky's ministry and all that kind of stuff. And he liked Allison, and Allison had begun to like, like him. And Allison came from the complete opposite. Parents still together, raised her in the church, had never gone wild, had always been good. And so as she was... Um, as they were liking each other, again, you're free to like whoever you want, right? That wasn't the problem. She just, she couldn't decide if she wanted this to kind of keep going, going, you know, start dating this person. And so she kept talking to people. She kept struggling with Ricky. And finally, she was uh, talking to Ricky one time, and she just kept expressing her uneasiness about, well, I know if you come from a divorced family, it seems a lot of times there's a lot of instability. And what about his past? And finally, in a way that only Ricky can do, okay, he looked at her and he said this. He said, look, the truth about Harrison is this. There's repentance in his life. We've all seen it. It's been going on for years, which means Jesus has forgiven it. He's a new creation. How, how people think of him is not what he's like anymore. But then he said, but Sally, your sin, your sin of kind of thinking he's unworthy to be with you and in your family, that sin seems to be very present with you. That sin that believes that Jesus didn't have to die for all of me, every part of me, that sin will actually take you away from Jesus. See, he was pressing in the message of John that all this chaff and wrath, all this language that, that we get uncomfortable with, John is actually being really serious. He's being very loving. He's saying to people who refuse to see that they're helpless and broken and on the wrong path because they see themselves as better than others, John is saying, you need to see the truth. You're in danger. You need to turn. It's the most loving thing John could say. And so one way to respond to John's call of repentance is to say, no, I've got this. I'm okay. I've got things under control. I know, I know how I should live. And you just choose the path of self-sufficiency. But the other way to respond is what you see at the end of verse 6. And this is where you'll discover who Jesus is. And it, so many people did this, and it's such a short phrase you can almost miss it, right? It says they were baptized confessing their sins. The other way to respond to John's call of preparation to repentance is just confess. You just join me and confess the truth about yourselves that, yeah, I've turned from the Lord all the time. Yeah, I, I'm more selfish and sinful than I think. And you accept that truth and you just confess and turn to Jesus with that. And like that is, that is so backward. Even if you've grown up hearing this all the time, just realize how backwards that is. That would be like an important person coming to your house and you say, well, I guess, I guess they're coming. Let, let's open the closet doors and let all the stuff that we've been hiding, let's let it spill out so that our house is a mess. You would never do that. Or it'd be like you find out that somebody uh, you really look up to is coming to your house and you're like, I guess I won't shower today. I guess I'll let them meet me uh, how I really look. We never do that. Instead, we prepare by covering up so it wouldn't make sense to let all your kind of closet mess come out if somebody was coming over or to not shower unless, the only way to make sense, if the person that was coming over was a master cleaner and a master organizer. Then it would make sense to do that. And see, if the one that you're being asked to meet is the Savior, is the one who forgives, is the one who takes away shame, then it actually makes sense. Because, right, what if, what if I had a headache... And I just started taking Advil 
every day just so I could function. You know, I got to work. I got to do these things. It would be crazy to quit taking Advil so that the headache got worse unless the headache getting worse made me go to the doctor, which then revealed that I had a deep problem, that I had cancer or something like that. Then it would make sense to let it get worse. That's the message of John. When that uneasiness kind of comes into your conscience, when you're realizing, like, I'm not who I should be, I'm facing in the wrong direction, he's saying, stop. Don't get busy. Don't numb that. Don't kind of say, I've got this, I can fix this. He's saying, right there, turn and confess what's true. Because that's what qualifies you for Jesus. Right? What qualifies you for food is simply that you're hungry. What qualifies you for water is that you're simply thirsty. What qualifies you for the Messiah, the hero, is that you cannot fix yourself. That you're really messed up. And so you just repent. You repent in sincerity. Sincerity, here we go. This is also from Ricky. Sincerity, that word comes from the ancient times in Greek where someone would make a like marble statue. And what they would do is if there were any flaws, they would cover it with wax, right? So that it would be presented without any flaws. But then what would happen is, is that statue got warm. If it was outside, the, max would, the, the wax would melt away. And the wax may, well, uh, melted away and you saw the cracks. That's the word for sincerity. So what Jesus is asking is for you to be sincere, not like you're perfect, but just to expose yourself to Jesus' cracks and all. And he'll find you. So those are the choices. The way of preparation is this call to repentance. You can hear that because the king is here, and I can either say, you know what, I'm good. I've got life under control. I'm better than other people. And it's a dangerous path. Or you can confess the truth about all of us. That I'm in over my head. I'm more sinful than I thought. And that's where we'll discover that Jesus saves. Jesus saves with baptism, right? This is verse 13 through 17. As the hero Jesus shows up, he comes to this river and wants to be baptized. John the Baptist tries to stop him. And this makes sense, right? If baptism, if this is a baptism of repentance, of turning from uh, this wrong path to God, then of course Jesus doesn't need this. Jesus is the only person who ever lived who never turned from his heavenly father. He, was, he is perfect. He is pure. Why would he need to be baptized? He has no sin to be cleansed. But Jesus says it is to fulfill all righteousness. And when he says that, John says, okay, let's do this. And he's baptized. What does that mean? Why does Jesus do this? He does it because he is being identified with people like me and you that need to repent. Sinclair Ferguson, he, he set the picture up this way. He said, you've got to imagine the scene, right? You've got hundreds of people polluted with sin that need to repent, that go into this River Jordan, and as the waters of baptism are covering them, in a sense, right, you're seeing it's washing off the pollution, washing off the sin, and it's going into the Jordan River. And here comes Jesus, the pure one, the righteous one, and he steps into the sin-polluted water, and then lets the sin-polluted water cover him, wash over him. So, so Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, sin-filled water pours over Jesus so that cleansing grace can flow over us. He's enacting the gospel. He's taking what our filth so that we can be clean. There's another article I uh, read about years ago where... Uh, this mom and her uh, like three-year-old daughter were out in a park, and the dog ran off. 
And so she was trying to get him, and it startled her daughter, and her daughter kind of ran this way. And when she ran this way, she stepped on, um, uh, she stepped on basically a, a, a cover of, of a raw sewage, like a septic tank. And that cover either was already broken or whatever, when it broke, and she fell in. So she fell into this four-foot underground septic tank. And the mom is over there and starts screaming. This is a true story. And there's a man right here who saw it happen. And so he goes running. He jumps in, dives down, gets her, brings her out. He has right inhaled whatever is in a septic tank. And then uh, she, and then does CPR and revives her. I want you to think about that picture. He went into the filth. She was covered in it. He took it on himself and through that revived her. That's the baptism of Jesus. That's Jesus fulfilling his role of righteousness. He is actually a hero that sees us in our filth. He sees us running the wrong direction, facing the wrong direction, and he comes after us and lets our filth, our sin, cover him so that he can bring us life. That's why in Luke 12, if you go read this this afternoon, Jesus calls the cross, the crucifixion, his true baptism. So what you're seeing happen in this river is just a small picture of what's going to happen at the end of Jesus' life because there's going to be a baptism of blood as he is on a cross and the true exchange happens. Because Jesus, the pure one, the wrath of God will burn him. He will become chaff, not because of his sin, but because all of those who have trusted him, all of those who have repented, all of our pollution covers Jesus and he takes what we deserve. That's why repentance, when you hear that word, repentance is not just making promises uh, to do better next time. It's not just being sorry for what I did. It's not just figuring out a plan how to not do that again. There's a way that you can do bad things and then turn to good things and do a runaround of Jesus. Repentance is turning from the, the, the way that I'm facing, which is all the bad things I do and the reason I do all those good things, to Jesus. That's repentance. And I just confess who I am. And see, in Jesus' baptism, he is identifying in every way with people like me and you that need to repent. And he's saying, the truth of, of me being your hero is I'm going to get so close to you that my story is going to become your story and your story will become my story. And that's why I want to end with this little voice that shows up from heaven. It's, it's God the Father's voice. After he's baptized, you hear the Father say, this, talking about Jesus, this is my son and who I'm delighted in and who I take great pleasure in. And everybody hears it. And amazingly, when Jesus identifies with you, yes, symbolizing baptism, but ultimately on the cross and then by his resurrection, what this means is he doesn't just wash us of our sin. He tr his story becomes your story so that the smile of God the Father, the pleasure that God takes in Jesus that now is on you, because you're in him. He wears your son, you wear his righteousness, you have the Father's smile. He's pleased with you. So along with this, uh, I think it was four or five years ago when Billy Graham passed away, I think, I can't remember. Uh, all these stories came out, you know, from this evangelist and great pastor. And one that came out I'd never heard was from his daughter, Ruth Graham. And I think she spoke this at his funeral, or at one of the things. And, um, what happened was after 21 years of her first marriage, uh, that marriage ended in divorce. And so she was a widow, and she moved to New York to be, uh, uh, she was divorced, she moved to New York to be near her uh, older sister. 
And in a church, she married a man only a few months after she'd been divorced, and she fell in love pretty quickly. And her dad, Billy Graham, her mom, and other people other kind of were saying, hey, look, this seems fast. Just slow down. We don't even know this guy. She kept saying, you don't understand. You don't know him like I do. And she very quickly marries him on New Year's night uh, in New York. Well, a week into the marriage, she realized this was bad. This is really bad. She saw a side of this man that she did not know was there. It was not good. And so she just has to get out of town. And so she starts going to the only place that she knows to go, which is home back in Pennsylvania. And so on that two-day trip from New York to Pennsylvania, she's thinking, what am I going to say? She said this. She said, nobody wants to embarrass their dad, but can you imagine what it would be like to know that you've embarrassed Billy Graham? And so she pulls up at the house, and she sees the cars there. She knows they're going to be there. And so she's trying trying to figure out, what am I going to say? And she said, when she walks in, expecting... uh, you know, shame and embarrassment. She said her dad looks at her in her eyes and just says, welcome home. No shame, no condemnation. Gives her a hug. And here's what she said. She said, my father is not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. It means we can come with our shame, our brokenness and failure. And God always says, welcome home. It was the flip. <laughs> she turned and she thought that she was going to receive shaming, embarrassment. How could you? And she heard the words, welcome home. This is the flip. This is the surprise of repentance. When you prepare to meet the hero, this pure, righteous one who we have turned away from, and we turn in repentance, we think we're going to get condemnation. We think we're going to get shaming. You know what you find? It's always better than you think. You find God saying, welcome home. What you find is that Jesus has actually done all the work required to bring you back to him. He has lived the life you should have lived. He has died the death you should have died. And when I turn, I realize, oh, he's been running after me the whole time. And he grabs me and he carries me home, home, which is the smile of the Father that says, I'm well pleased with you. What that means is preparing to meet the hero is not saying, clean your life up, get it together. It's just, it just says this, just be honest. Be honest about how empty and broken you really are and repent for the first or for the thousandth time to Jesus. You realize he's already done the work. It's amazing. There's nothing left for you to do. And in him, you're home. The smile of the Father is yours. So what I would ask you is, could it be what you're missing this morning is repentance? Could it be that the the joy that you're missing comes from being empty and broken and turning to Jesus with that? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, the call of repentance uh, can seem so disruptive and scary, and it is, but it's disruptive because you love us and because we turn from you. And so we confess we are all like sheep running away from you, but would you give us that gift of repentance this morning, like we just said, for the first or the thousandth time to turn, to be honest, and see you've done all the work for us. What a joy that would be if we experienced that this morning. In your son's name I pray. Amen.